You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Kristen Flor Perret on another edition of Are You Happy? Welcome, Kristen. Thank you very much. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, Long story short, I have been a business leader in the corporate environment for over 30 years. Um, Part of that was brand side and part of that was agency side. Um, I sit pretty much in that idea of like the creative space. So if you were going to think about all the different types of jobs that you could do around the functions that would sit under a chief marketing officer. So business development, um, you know, funnel management, driving content engines, and really building high performance teams that can realize their potential. And I think my sweet spot is taking people that that are somewhat, and we can sit there and say that, that may not have been the best and the brightest seen in an organization and help put them in an environment where I can see their special talents and then build a team that really is a village as opposed to a whole bunch of people that look the same that can then reach exponential heights that people you know, didn't see possible. And do that in a way that there is precision and rigor around that. And a lot of the things that I would talk about in the corporate environment are things that are necessary when you're working in someplace that's very metrics oriented and a organization that's complicated because a lot of times people chase the wrong things. And that's where unhappiness becomes, especially when you look at that, this idea that we talk about all the time, a client relationship versus a vendor relationship and what does it really mean to be partnership I think people throw that term around a lot and don't understand what it truly means and how do you find balance in that relationship to be able to achieve what um, client satisfaction and ultimately your employee and team satisfaction so that's a lot of the things that I do Um, I've built very very diverse teams So diverse teams in terms of age, gender, um, you know, ethnicity, and then also skill sets and people that think different ways. And I am a firm believer of the more people that you have to the table. So the bigger table that you have, the better that the thinking is and ultimately the product that you deliver. So I don't know. So that's a little bit about me. I don't know if if there's any specific questions you'd want to dive into. No, I love that. That's uh, that's perfect. Okay. And I, I do have to say, like, I just heard Gary B say he was talking about B and C players saying that if the, if you have a C player, if you have a C team player, but he's a good human being, he's going to be better than an A player that's a bad human being, right? Because if you know, like, your village or your community, then they're going to, like, be part of the goal. They're going to be constantly, like, They'll be, they'll care about it after hours to, to push it up the hill, right? To push the project up the hill. Well, and I would say that there, there's, there's something you have to think about in the workplace. And one thing that people get confused about, like, it is a workplace. It is not your family. And potentially they are not your friends. That yeah. doesn't mean not to have a respectful environment where you can grow and mentor people, but you need to understand that it is ultimately business. And so my job as a leader is to bring those people together, create create an environment where there's a foundation of trust so that you can have that give and take and those really honest conversations around 
how do you then drive whatever thing it is that you need to drive? And so if you don't have that foundation, it's really hard. And especially if we think about the past three years is to throttle up or throttle down, depending on what's happening in the world. And um, that's one of the things that has really, uh, a lot of people have struggled with in the past three years now that we're all remote. Like, how do you build these relationships when you're just sitting here looking at somebody through a screen? I always used to say the best time of whenever you were going in and you were forging a new relationship or you were interviewing somebody was that walk from the lobby to the conference room and back. And that's when you really got to get to know somebody. And it's once you sit down and you have that desk that's separating you, it becomes a very formal um, engagement and you don't see that whole person and everything about them. So the goal of mine is always to connect prior to sitting down and saying, okay, let's talk business now because that's then too late to build a relationship. Your relationship building needs to start before you're selling or hawking or whatever it is that, you know, the business objective you're there to deliver on. So strategically, that's um, been the case, like building the relationship prior to making it business. And how do you continue? Because there's got, there has to have been times where you, you start, you know, like we all make mistakes and you're, you have an employee that you're trying to build as a team but it kind of went, it started as business accidentally, if that were the case. Like, how do, how do you bring them back in the fold once they're, like, kind of it's the business relationship? Well, first, you have to get to know someone as a person. I mean, if I can't motivate you to go out and deliver something, or let's say you've been struggling for some reason, I could take it on face value what the previous manager or what the employee is just saying about said task. That isn't going to give me enough to really understand what they need, what feeds them um, to be able to do you know, the thing that you need to do. So you've got to get to understand them as a person and what motivates them. For example, there's so many things you could go out there. You could look at Myers-Briggs, you could look at insights and people have profiles. Now, my whole entire life, whatever category you wanna put in, I am a red driver. You know, so that's the way that I see the world and certain things motivate me. Now, if I translated that to every employee that ever worked for me, they, I've had employees say, well, I don't care about the money. I don't care about, you know, the glory. I care about how people feel. And so I have to understand that with the person that I'm sitting down and having that conversation with to be able to understand how do I motivate them to achieve said goal? Because otherwise I may be speaking, you know, German to them and they may be speaking French to me. So we have to get on the same plane and be able to have a dialogue around what are those motivations and hurdles that were in their way, you know, to be successful. And that takes yes. time. You're not going to get that in, you know, the second, you know, somebody comes to your room and says, okay, let's sit down, let's talk, let's look at you. I'm going to look at your performance. Okay. We have to correct this immediately. Let's build an action plan and go. That's not going to be successful. But it's all about in every relationship, it's like understanding the context. Why are you here? What has happened before? What does the, you know, what is, what are the pressures that are on that individual at the moment? What are their hopes and dreams? And then, then you can start to build a plan to go forward. Yep. It, it comes with truly listening to what they're saying. And sometimes you have to read between the lines because they won't, they won't tell you everything that they have going on, which is, it's difficult. I think that that is very true. The past three years have shifted that slightly. And there is now more of a willingness in a corporate environment to talk about mental 
uh, well-being and all the things that are impacting that. So that has shifted some, but there's still a lot of stigmatism around that because they're afraid that it's going to affect their performance, you know, how you see them as people, but yet the person has to show up, right? The, the person and everything that happened prior to that interaction and that that's going to happen as a result of that, you have to take that into consideration. Yes. What, what do you think of the open door policy with upper management saying like, hey, we have this open door policy. You can tell us whatever you, what you want. I think that all depends on the organization and the individual. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing if you don't calibrate that in the right way. And so you have to find an organization that you really believe is going to be a listener and then take that information and you have to trust the outcome they're going to have to deliver. Now, I counsel a lot of CEOs and executives. We can't do what every employee wants because when you're sitting at the executive level, your charter is to deliver the business and making sure that you have the right people on the team to do whatever said task is in front of you. And the way that you're going to be able to do that is by having a multitude of conversations with people throughout the organization in the top, the middle and the bottom. And from that, then your job as the executive is to triangulate that and figure out, well, what do I need to listen to? What do I need to put down? And then how am I going to build a strategy to go forward? So listening is really important and having that open door policy and is important, but employees have to trust that you're going to do something with that um, in, in the right way. So that can be a double-edged sword if the organization doesn't handle that correctly. So if you were sitting there saying, hey, I am at this meeting, we're having all the employees in front of you, you guys can ask me anything. We're going to listen to anything. Um, you may have people that in that situation would be really loud and, 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 and wanting to monopolize the conversation, but they may not speak for the entire you know, company. They may speak to a subset. So you've got to make sure that you're also in some way listening to the people that are quiet and won't raise their hands, but maybe they have something that's even more valuable to say. So that's the really hard part of a leader is to making sure that you're listening to all of that and you can figure out what's really going on as opposed to what people are telling you that you think you want to hear. They, you, they, they think you want to hear. Yes, and it, it can be very difficult. You touched it, you hit the nail on the head as far as I was thinking along those lines. The hard part is when, so they're, they're so afraid because they know if they told you something that's going on with them, that they, they would be looked upon at, in a different light. Like you said, what, what you do with that information. So like if you have it in and being in middle in middle management or between between the owner, between the CFO or the CEO, when you're when you're like, OK, what am I going to say to them? What am I going to share with them? And what am I not? Because how is that going to be perceived by them? So then you have to it's a really tough, tough line to walk in. Uh, it's uh, I've been in in those shoes. I've had a toxic boss. There's been an owner that I've worked for that was um, he wanted his hands in everything. He couldn't take the back seat and trust his team. And so, you know, it was just, it was impossible. And then anytime anyone wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid or wasn't on the team, but they questioned legitimate things, he would, he would automatically like think that they're not on his team and he would get offended. And you want people, you want to be surrounded with people that disagree with you, maybe not in a bad way, but disagree with you in a good way that looks, looks out for the betterment of the company. I think what you want to do is you want to build a team where you can have honest conversations around 
everything. And then as a team, then you can guide what you do going forward, but you have to create that environment so that everyone can speak up in a way to be able to share the reality of what's going on. I mean, as any leader wants to, in their heart, really know what's going on, do they have the ability to hear it is, you know, I think one of the bigger challenges. 100% for sure. And so how do you find happiness in your day-to-day? Well, I think the thing that's most important, and it took me a long time to get there, is that you have to feed yourself before you feed others. And there's so many examples that we can think about it. I mean, we've all flown on a plane, right? And what is the thing that the flight attendant tells us all the time? Well, if the pressure drops and the oxygen mask comes down, put the mask on yourself before you put it on someone else. So that's a thing to think about all the time and making sure that you carve out that time for you. And that time can come into four kind of different uh, categories, I think about. So the first is really, what is it that you need to do to be healthy? So do I need to work out? Do I need to make time um, to take lunch breaks or whatever it is? And I think there's something around the recovery process. So are there things or something that happened in my life, whether or not I was in a big meeting or um, I had something that was going on outside, uh, outside um, or we just ma- delivered this massive deliverable. So there has to be recovery time that is built into that. And then there has to be hit time, I think, for reflection. Uh, so wh- where, you know, are you meditating? Are you journaling? What is it that can do? And then is there, is there something that's really pushing you in terms of whatever your superpower is? So is it creativity? Is it strategy? So those four things, you have to make sure that you're feeding your soul on a regular basis. You may not be able to do that every day, but carving out that time to feed yourself so that in any situation, you know that you are rested, you've um, had time to go out and look at the world, you um, are confident in terms of your stamina and what you're able to deliver. So that's really, I think, where happiness starts is feeding yourself first, because then you can feed somebody else. But if you're starving, you know, to use that, that, that terminology, then how are you going to be able to carve some of that off to give to somebody else? And that took me a really long time to get there. So for me, I get up at five in the morning every day. Um, I spend a half an hour just kind of meditating. Uh, I drink a large glass of water, uh, 32 ounces, and then I go to the gym um, or I do some sort of exercise. And then I'm home generally around 7.15, 7.30. And so no one can ever take that time away from me, the thing that I just did. And even though there are plenty of days I don't want to get up, I don't want to do that, I'm always happier when I do those things and I can feel myself get crabby when I don't. So that's the way that I start every single day. And then I make sure throughout the day that I make time to go have lunch, even if it's just leaving for 15 minutes, that I in the evening that I turn off technology and I'm reading a book or looking through a magazine so that I'm having something that is inspiring me outside of what I am doing in the workday. So those are just some of the things that I do. I love that. I mean, that, that's so important. And do you believe that happiness can come from external circumstances or it's a majority of what's within? I think it has to come from within for you to be able to engage in the outside world and those things that are there. So friendships are incredibly important to having, you know, to having happiness. 
feeling that you're in a place where you belong it will, will drive happiness. But if you're not inherently happy with yourself and how you're showing up every day and you know the world that you've created outside of work, how are you going to be happy at work? So I think it's a, a combination and they feed each other, but you again need to do that work first before you can engage externally. I, yes, it, I agree 100%. It comes from within. I, I have two boys, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. And um, <laughs> it's, it's funny, my 13-year-old plays basketball and we, we practice every weekend. We go out with, my, uh, with his friend and then his, his friend's stepdad. And his, um, his friend's stepdad says, you know, if I could just shake Carson up and make him angry and get him more aggressive out on the court, I think he would be an amazing player. He's, he is really good. He just doesn't get aggravated. He doesn't get heated. And so I, and I was telling my wife, I'm like, that's my, you know, that's for me. And I, and I almost feel bad because I told him like your happiness is from you. You get whatever anybody else does. It's not, you choose how you react. And um, it's, <laughs> it's almost to a point where it's hurting, but I feel in, in a few more years when he's in high school, he's not even in high school yet. He's just in seventh grade. But by the time he gets to high school, he'll have a cool, calm, collective way of playing basketball. And he won't be stressed out and he won't be controlled by those aggressions when he's playing basketball. And I think it'll, that'll make him an even better player. But yet to be determined, and I don't expect him to be in the NBA. So. Well, and I think kind of dovetailing into that around what is one of the things you can do to help drive happiness, it's understanding in any situation what you can control and can't control. And you have to let go of the things that you cannot control. I can't determine if it's going to rain outside any, on any given day. So getting upset whether or not it's going to rain or not is going to be a waste of my energy. But what I can control is what I put on, you know, to go outside and to be in the rain. So do I bring my umbrella? Do I have the right shoes? Do I have a jacket? And that's so true in business because a lot of times I see employees or colleagues, and they're so upset about something, and they're just, you know, it, they, they can't even think. It's blocking out their ability to do anything. And then when you break it down, it's something they can't control. And so there is the need to vent about it, but, but you have to then let that go and focus on the things that you can control. And that will drive so much more happiness. I 100, that's amazing. I love that. That's, uh, that's all right. Now, um, if you had one message to share with the world about how to bring more happiness, what would it be? We're all humans and we fundamentally want the same thing. And if we can think about that in every interaction that we have with people, that these are human beings, human beings want to do good. They want to belong. And if we can start from that point, we'll be better off in everything that we're doing. Wow. That's powerful. I love that. You know, and it's the ripple effect too. If you carry that with you throughout the day, even at the gas station, you know, sometimes I see that gas station attendant and she's had the worst day and it's, and it's like seven o'clock in the morning and she's, you can tell she does not want to be there. But if you smile and you say something just kind to that person, because you know, like you've been there, you've been in those difficult 
And when somebody has said something kind, it can change your mood or at least change 15 minutes. And then who knows how that, will, that ripple effect will carry on to every person that she talks to for the remainder of the day. So it is, it is important to, to know everybody's, you know, like you've been in there. There's no new experience. We've all experienced the same things. Like, you know, the, it's, there's nothing new. It may be a different variation that we think is new or different, but it's all, all the emotions are the same. They fall into the same category. And it's really hard because in every interaction we have and what you're talking about is like that customer service kind of moment is we're bringing so much baggage with us to each of those interactions and somebody is going to do or say something and it triggers us or we haven't put down, you know, what has happened before that interaction. And I always tell people it's kindness will get you so far. If you can have empathy with that person that you're interacting with, amazing things will happen. But if you come in and you're like, I am just so mad. I've been on hold for two and a half hours. I finally got, you know, a person and you're the person on the other end of that customer service line. She's not, or he is not going to be helpful to you. Whereas, you know, you could say something and said, you know, thank you so much for working so hard. I know you must be busy because I've been on hold for two and a half hours. That's disarming right away. And you've then created a shared moment where that person is probably going to trust and begin to work with you on that outcome instead of laying into them like, oh my goodness, I have been on hold and, and, you know, how dare you? And, you know, my day is horrible. And it is amazing because I'm not perfect and I can't do that all the time. If I can remember that and have that type of engagement, how successful those engagements are and the amazing things that you get on the other end, um, as opposed to coming in and being, angry at whatever is in front of you. And so, yeah, so for a long time, uh, pre-COVID, I used to carry um, little chocolates in my purse. They were little hearts. And I would randomly just run into somebody that I saw doing a nice thing. And I would hand them this. And I said, I would say, oh, that, that was really wonderful. I saw that interaction that you did. I just wanted to give you this for thanking you for being, you know, for being that type of person. And I got a lot of friends and clients from doing that one little gesture of just a little tiny chocolate because again people want to be seen they do they do now more than ever it seems Absolutely. like there's a it seems like there's a, a shortage of it you know and I, I look at this um you know theo the creator of are you happy he just created a tiktok saying that um he believed that 2020 was the greatest year ever and it, you know it, it created a lot of shade and a lot of people comment and they duetted the video and everything but um there's there's something that has to come with where we are. It has, there has to be, there has to be a change in the hatefulness that's out in the world right now. And it's, and it's bound to happen. It's about, we all, we all need it more than ever, but it's, it's hard seeing that. And it's hard not getting caught up in the moment and caught up in the latest drama that, you know, that, that we think that we need to be upset about or need that needs to drive our, our anger for the day. You know, it's we're, we're fed what we, I, I truly believe um, we're a victim of our own um, desires. We told. Well, mm -hmm. And I would yeah, say that ahead. that comes back to one of my philosophies around that you need to celebrate others freely and regularly and making sure that you call out those things that you see when someone is doing good. 
I think that, I mean, I'm a, a, an Italian and Catholic. I was taught by nuns, you know, and, and believe me, compliments were not given freely. And I thought everything had to be perfect, you know, before you would give someone, you know, some sort of accolades and celebrating others in the smallest things that they do, again, will go so far beyond what you believed um, was possible when you engage with people in, in that way. Um, I mean, imagine that some random stranger walked down the street and complimented you on something like, how's that going to make you feel? And I think women especially are really, really, really critical of each other. And, you know, I'll walk up to one and I say, oh, you look really great today. Did you just get your hair done to some random person? And the spring that they have on their step um, after that interaction is amazing. And that feels like good to me to be able to, to do that. And then I've had people say, I'm going to pay that forward. I'm going to do that. So thank you for that. That is amazing. It, and with men, it's different. It's a little bit different. Um, prime example, back to my son playing basketball. One of my wife's cousins, um, they have they have a son on a different team. And we played them last week. And I, you know, they, we beat that. We ended up winning, but it wasn't by much. And it was a really good game. And their son was by far the best player on the team. And he was amazing. And after the game, I am not like a, a rub it in type guy. I'm the type to, you know, wear my heart on the sleeve. I walked up to his dad and I said, your son is amazing at basketball. And he's like, well, I could have done better. And he like, they look so much for the criticism now that it's hard for them to even see when they're getting a true compliment. Like he, he looked me in the eyes for like 30 seconds. And I'm like, I'm serious. Like he, I'd be proud of him, you know, and and he's like, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, and it was just like, wow, it took that much just to get him to understand that I was trying to pay him a compliment for him and his son. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have a, a son that uh, plays college baseball, so very familiar. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, as it, on the dad side of things, it is, there's high pressure. We can give high pressure. There's no doubt about that, but it's, um, we have to draw the line between what we can control and what we can't. And we need to, we need to share that with our, our children because they're gonna change the world. And how do you become persuasive? And there's many different ways to be persuasive and it's not just the carrot and the stick. So figuring mm -hmm. out other ways to, to go out and motivate, as I said, to people to allow them to achieve new heights and figuring that out is really yeah. important. It is, it is. The youth need it too. And there's not many volunteers these days when it comes to helping out with the youth. That's difficult as well too. But yes, this has been powerful. This is one I would love to follow up on this podcast and um, and hear where you're at. What, what do you do right now? Like what, you don't have to well, say- I'm actually, well, Yeah, I'm actually getting ready to leave the company that I'm at and to go do something else. I've been there for five years. Um, so I'm thinking about what my next step is. Um, and, you know, I'm very, very blessed that I have a lot of opportunities to kind of, um, you know, think about that and see what direction I'm going to go into, but it will, it'll have something to do with motivating, um, people and getting them to reach, you know, new potentials. So well, something around that. So we'll see. Yeah. So it would be great to have a follow-up podcast. Now I have to say this cause I felt compelled and I have no reason. Like no reason other than I just felt compelled to ask, are any of these opportunities for yourself, like for you specifically, and maybe not necessarily going to work for another company? 
absolutely. So mm -hmm. absolutely. So yes. I knew it. Yes. I knew it. I could I could sense it, and it's uh, good for you. You need to, and now is the time. I absolutely. I, I, yeah. Yes. I, yes. I I I feel it, and uh, I um, gosh, I got goosebumps. And then I have to share this myself. I'm working on a book myself, and I'm pretty deep into it. And it's it's going to be called the Gentleman's Guide to Happiness. And okay. um, yep, I just guys need it too. And they need um, they need to understand. I think that they can treat people better, and I think they can provide more. They can provide what the world needs in a better way if they are happy from within. Like well, we what could, they do. We could, yes, we could talk a lot. I've raised three boys, so we can talk a lot about that. And I think that one of the biggest things that is happening in my generation, I'm guessing and looking at you, that you're quite a bit younger than I am. Um, is that men have lost their purpose and because they've lost their purpose, it is creating a lot of friction in the world. You know, men and women historically used to have very different roles and the blending of women going to work, um, having very, very successful careers and still doing a lot of the child rearing has left men without a purpose. And if you can work with men to help them understand their purpose in all the dimensions of their life, um, happiness, I think there'll be a greater abundance of happiness in this world. Absolutely. And I'm not, I don't, I feel like we're close in age. I'm 42. So I'm, oh, I'm much older than you are, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But anyway, you know, I, my generation was, you know, pre-internet and I am defined by my career. Um, I've always felt that I needed to be the provider and I always have been. And I was defined by my role, and my position. I recently, as yourself, left a corporate, corporation and uh, I managed 38 dealers across the United States, but it, it was, um, I don't know. I, I, need, I need purpose. I, my purpose was my job, but I realized it, it meant nothing at the end, I was not changing the world. And I know I can change the world and I need to develop that. I need to work on it. Well, it was, uh, my father died at the beginning of COVID. And I had the honor of writing and delivering the eulogy. And it was a very cathartic process that I had to take a man's life and be able to encapsulate it in 20 minutes. Mm. And it allowed me to kind of step back and determine what really mattered. What is it that I really wanted to say? And I remember having conversations with my siblings about it because I'm one of four and they all had a different point of view and they wanted this and they kept sending me stuff, put this in, put this in, put this in, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And I was like, well then, you know, how do you put, as I said, you know, a man's 80 years into 20 minutes and, and where do you find those things that really the entire, um, church of people that were listening heard the right thing, you know, were able to take away the right thing that, that, that allowed them to know that their relationship with my father was special. And it was a, it was an amazing journey to go on and figure that out. And I will tell you, um, it was not about his work accolades. It was not about the things that he had done. It was about how he made people feel. Um, 
And that was really the red thread that came through the entire piece. And so that's a great thing to step back and really think about. And yes, we need to be productive in this world. There are so many gnarly challenges that need bright people to solve. Um, and yet we need to have families and we need to be in communities and do all these other things in addition. And so you have to look at the whole self and all the ways that you're contributing. And if you're just getting that all from your job, then you're probably not a truly fulfilled or happy person or as happy, you could be happier perhaps. And I think that people make a lot of mistakes. And that's what I was saying at the top is that you have to remember that your job is not your family. And these are probably not your friends. And yes, I've made lifelong friends at work. So there are exceptions to that, but really being able to frame that and saying, okay, what is this? What is the purpose of this job? What is it giving me right now? And then what are the other dimensions that I have in my life? And what are those feeding me? And, and being really clear-eyed about that. And if you can be clear-eyed about that, then you're probably not going to be disappointed. Well, yep. And I'm sorry for your loss. That was in the beginning of 2020. Uh, beginning of 2019 right 2019. before Christmas so he did not die of COVID but um it was a it was a blessing it was absolutely a blessing because he wouldn't have survived COVID so mm. um yeah and we actually mm. could go to church and everybody was in the church and you know that all happened and then the world locked down so yeah yeah I can relate a little my dad Pat, my dad died in 2020 and he had a widowmaker. Um, he died in the ambulance. And then I, my mom called me and they live really close. I, we, we can't move far away. I love my family and all of my small town. But I, um, I drove, I, I bet I, I was there before the ambulance left with him. My mom's riding with me. We're following it to the hospital. They pulled over in this, um, in a restaurant. And I, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to like turn off so my mom would see, but you know, like there's no avoiding it. And then they got back on the road and then they started going to the hospital. So they revived him. He had the Widowmaker, they brought him back. He lived on a ventilator and this is like 2020. So COVID was serious. Like uh, we could only one of us could be in the hospital at a time. He was on um, the ventilator for 10 days. And I was there, I was there the morning they pulled it out and he came to his senses and He's still with us today. Um, it's a blessing, but I processed his death that in those 10 days. And it mm -hmm. was, um, it's painful because now it's like, I've already processed his death. Now I enjoy every minute that I can spend with him. I do. And I'm not trying to touch on emotions or anything, but like that, it, now it's like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't spend that time with him. And it's, I think that's important to say, you know, a lot of, I've heard a lot of, People say that is you, you cherish the moments regardless of what they are. Yeah. So it's anyway, I, I had to share it because it was, you know, it's, it's because you can't call anymore. Those during those 10 days, I would call my dad like often. And when I picked up the phone that first time and I couldn't call him because he was on the ventilator, it was like, wow, you know, like that's real. He's probably not, I assumed he wasn't going to come off the ventilator. And I was just, uh, and he's here. We went car shopping for my son this past weekend together, which is just amazing. But yeah. Well, it comes down to no regrets. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, living that life in a way that we make decisions and sometimes they don't go well, but you have to have that confidence 
in yourself that you made that decision at that time because of a variety of circumstances. And, you know, and that's, that's the thing is like looking back and coming back to, you know, what drives happiness is that you have to put those things down and not keep looking at the water, you know, that's behind you and look at what's in front of you. Because if I spent all my time analyzing all the mistakes that I may, may have made, um, I need to remember that instead of looking at that and being depressed, what I need to do is say that that brought me to where I am today. And so because of that, I'm a richer, better person because I've had those experiences. And believe me, I have failed miserably. I have made some horrible mistakes, horrible, horrible, horrible mistakes. And yet those mistakes you learn from just as much as the successful decisions or interactions that you have. 